Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we explore the 1986 film, The Mosquito Coast. Okay, I am Sebastian and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. And we're doing one of our special editions where it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting together on the couch. I love this. And we're doing it real like lo-fi style. Yep. With just the Zoom quarter. It worked out fine last time. It sure did. And it's really low maintenance. And this episode we're doing kind of a low maintenance movie. We're going to do The Mosquito Coast, the 1986 version by Peter Weir. Now, the reason why we've picked this uh, film for this podcast i know there's probably a ton of mosquito coast fans (laughs) out there dying to hear our take on mosquito coast but there is a new tv series yes starring justin thoreau that is based upon the same book that this 1986 film was based upon by paul thoreau Uh, it's a 1981 novel which is you know roughly the same plot but The basic story is a father and his family leave the modern world behind and go into, in this case, the jungle wilderness of South America to basically build their version of a utopia. There's more to it than that, Mm -hmm. but that's the basic gist. And I think that the new TV show kind of follows the same rough idea. The film was directed by Peter Weir, as I mentioned. Uh, Peter Weir is an Australian director, and you and I are actually kind of fans of his. We are. Low-key fans of Peter Weir. I really love the film Master and Commander, which came out in the aughts. I'm a big fan of that. We both really enjoy uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yep. He did Dead Poets Society. He did The Truman Show. Witness. Witness, which is great. Year of Living Dangerously is another one. Oh, yeah. Which is good. Gallipoli, starring Mel Gibson. Um, the Last Wave, which I really like. It's sort of a sci-fi film from 1977. So, yeah, we're, we're fans of Peter Weir. Yeah, he's, he's a really great director. And uh, this film, I think, is pretty well directed. It stars Harrison Ford in the lead, which in 1986, Harrison Ford was not necessarily known for doing a lot of dramatic roles. He was known as Han Solo in Indiana Jones and being in Blade Runner. So this was a pretty big departure for him. Witness was the year before, which Peter Weir had already directed. So he already had a sort of working relationship with Peter Weir. And it also stars Helen Mirren. That's right. As the mother of the mm-hmm. family. And it stars River Phoenix, an actor, a young actor that we lost at a young age, which is sad because he was really good. Yep. And it also stars Martha Plimpton mm-hmm. and Andre Gregory. Yes. 
from My Dinner with Andre, which you can hear Jennifer and I discuss <laughs> on the... My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre. Right. It's a podcast by our friends Whitney Seibold and William Bibbiani. Yes. So if you'd like to hear us discuss an even more scintillating film than this, you <laughs> can go over there and check that out. You said you had some trivia about the film. Oh, yeah. So River Phoenix and Harrison Ford had a really close bond. Mm -hmm. And after this film, he personally recommended... River Phoenix to be uh, young Indy and in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Yep, because he really felt like River uh, looked a lot like him when he, he kind of does. Age. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and also, out of all of his movies, Harrison Ford considers this to be his favorite. Really interesting. Yep. yep. And he even said um, there was something along the lines in, in the trivia here. I'm trying to find it where he, you know, he he said this was the only movie where he didn't um it didn't make its money back mm -hmm. but like he's he still didn't care like it was right. just you know he, he felt that strongly about this film another piece of trivia was uh jack nicholson was going to be in the lead huh. as the harrison ford role of ally i can see that yeah um and apparently he didn't want to do it because they shot this in belize uh-huh and he couldn't watch laker games there <laughs> okay <laughs> good enough reason i yeah, guess that was yeah exactly like because it was going to be in belize and he couldn't do it um they also considered uh cory haim to uh -huh. be in the river phoenix role of I charlie fox that, yeah but his father who was his manager at the time mm -hmm. turned it down in favor of him being the star in lucas which came out around the same time right I think, you know, we won by getting River Phoenix in this. Yeah, totally. I mean, Corey Ames is a good actor, but it's it's so, this is much more of, well, I was going to say also, I was thinking about this, not to jump ahead, but when we're watching the film, I was thinking about how a lot of this is parallel to River's real life. Right, yes. Because of his family. And, and mm -hmm. then I was reading that um, actually in the trivia also, his family actually was stationed in Venezuela because they mm. were involved in this Children of God group right cult whatever and um he just he was motivated to take this part really wanted this part because it was very similar to a lot of things that had happened in his childhood right but they also kind of were going to pass on him at first because they felt he was too old mm -hmm. to be because he was already like 15 to be charlie uh -huh. but they you know they just couldn't find the right charlie and so they ended up being okay with him playing the role because he's great yeah, he's perfectly fine, yeah. and I don't see why he would need to be any younger, but... I don't know. It's just the trivia. Now, I remember seeing this film on cable TV. It was not a big hit in the cinemas, <laughs> which is why it's on Tentpole Trauma. It was a $25 million movie that didn't even make a million dollars on its opening weekend in the States, and I don't think it even cleared five altogether, so it's a bomb, pretty expensive movie for the time in 1986 i mean 25 million oh, that was like the cost of a star wars movie or something at that time so yeah big financial disappointment so i didn't see it in the theater and i don't know anyone who did oh but you do uh, do i who this girl you saw mosquito coast in the theater you bet i did wow so my parents uh, money went towards the the measly earnings. The hundred thousand dollars <laughs> it made on its opening weekend. Yep, I was there. I you know I'm, I've been trying to think how that happened, mm -hmm. and I can only surmise that it's 
because of you know loving indiana jones and the temple of doom yeah and i don't know i don't remember how this film was marketed but for whatever reason like i was there and all i, I remember from the marketing was just harrison's ford's like <laughs> haggard like face that's all they had they just sold it on his face yeah well that was like the poster yeah right yeah i remember saying. yeah i remember the poster but I mean, as far as like catching like a, a trailer or something yeah. to to entice you to go, I don't know. They they were probably thinking Harrison Ford, The Jungle. You'll think yeah. it's Indiana Jones. Sure, it's going to be just as fun. Boy, <laughs> it really is it not is fun. Not, it's definitely this movie is a lot of things. Not fun. But fun is not. There's there's no fun to be had here. Nope. There will be no joy. It's pretty miserable, but not miserable to watch. Oh, absolutely not. No. But, but yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because seeing it then uh, and on the big screen, and then I'm sure I saw you know bits and pieces of it like you did on TV over the years, but I haven't a hundred percent haven't sat through it again until now. Yeah. I mean, it's really, truly something that's not for a child to watch. No. <laughs> Unless you want your child to have horrible nightmares. <laughs> but it's like, you know, now being middle-aged and watching it, it's it's a completely different experience than, than yeah. you know, I'm having. I remember watching it on cable TV because it would be on cable pretty regularly. And I was old enough at the time to be able to appreciate it for what it was to a certain extent. My, of course, my sympathies were entirely with the Charlie character because oh, yeah. I was that age and yeah. I could identify with him to the degree that any teenager can identify with hating your parents, <laughs> which I think is a theme that mm -hmm. really comes to the fore in this film. <laughs> so I could kind of relate to it on a certain level. And to your point now, coming back to it in middle age, I can really see a lot more in it. And I have not watched it from beginning to end since... I saw it on cable yeah. and I don't even know if I watched it from beginning to end ever in one sitting back then. I would kind of catch pieces of it and kind of get engrossed in it and then probably go do something else. So should we get into the movie? Let's get into it. We join the Fox family led by Harrison Ford's Alley Fox and they are living in America working on an asparagus farm mm -hmm. and Alley or We'll just call him Harrison Ford. Father. <laughs> Father is really what <laughs> yeah. I think his name is in the credits. Father is a really brilliant man. He is an inventor and he has a bunch of patents on all these inventions. We're getting this information in narr narration form from River Phoenix's character of Charlie. And he is really disenfranchised with the American dream. Their first scene, they're just sort of driving through the town, wherever it is, and we just see fast food chains and strip malls and stuff, and he's just sort of ranting about mm -hmm. how America has gone to shit. He stops by a hardware store to get some piping or something, and he can't get American-made piping from Jason Alexander, <laughs> yes. who's working at the store, and throws kind of a little fit. And it's very clear that the hardware store clerk played by Jason Alexander has dealt with him before, and he's an exasperating human being. Then we see him at his quote-unquote job on the asparagus farm, and the farmer is at his wit's end with him because he's just trying to get him to... 
He's trying to get him to, uh, he was hired to put in some sort of cooling system. Yes. Because he's got, the farmer has all of his asparagus, which is like going bad. Yeah. Because they can't refrigerate it or, or whatnot. So, he yeah, he's been hired to do a specific job, which he obviously, in addition to being an inventor, has some sort of background in AC or cooling or something yeah. like that. Because this it's kind of a thing that he goes back to. Yes. So he's getting these parts and what he's getting them for is he's you know not just hooking up an air conditioner or cooler or something like that as has he's been hired to do he's created this machine it's an invention that runs on fire yes because he like lights a match and throws it in there and through science he's able to create ice yeah and pretty and, much instantaneously yes and, um, you know, the farmer is like, wow, that's great. But he's showing up to the farmer with this prototype and seeing going like, look how great this is. And yeah. the farmer's like, it is really impressive, but this doesn't help me now. Right. He's like, it's it's a not, you know, he's like, it's a not, it's not to scale model. You know, yeah. I, I'm going to build you a giant one. And he's yes. like, yeah, but my asparagus is going bad. And he's like, you know, and the, and the actor is a character actor. I, I can't, he's been in a bunch of stuff that I he's dealing with. He is, yeah. But yeah, he's having a complete meltdown because his crops are going bad. Yes. So we get the sense from this that father is a brilliant man, but he is frustrating and in many ways impractical because he puts his sort of passions and ideas that he has in front of doing what he needs to do to, you know, have a normal quote unquote life. He puts them in front of everything. In front of everything. <laughs> like yes. nothing. Like we, as, as time goes on and we, you know, we'll get into the story, but that's that's the, the moral of the story is there's nothing that's going to stop father's passions. Right. So while he's sort of milling around this farm that he's working on and getting frustrated, he notices the farmhands that work there, and they are all from South America. Mm -hmm. And he gets this idea in his head that he wants to bring this ice contraption that he's made to the jungles of South America because they don't have ice there, and he can bring civilization mm -hmm. to them in the form of ice so he picks out a location on the mosquito coast in south america and just decides to pack up the family and and move them all there the family is two teenage boys and two twins Twin, girls. Like girls like probably like i don't know like seven or eight or so right and mother so mm -hmm. they're you know, a six-person family yes. total. But the younger teenage boy, whose name is Jerry, mm -hmm. or he, he's probably like 11 or he might yeah, be 12. 12 he's preteen. Yeah. He's got a bad feeling about this and he really doesn't want to go. And he says, like, something really bad is going to happen if we go. But Helen Mirren's character of mother believes in father for the most part and tells him that it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be the greatest thing in the world that they're going to go live in the jungle so they do can i just say also like how i would never choose a place that had mosquito in the name i know that would be that like, was like just a hard pass surprisingly they don't touch upon how many mosquitoes <laughs> no. they must be dealing with in this movie even though it's called mosquito coast you think they'd be complaining about the mosquitoes more than they do i know i would i wouldn't want any part of it so they get on a boat called the Unicorn, which I thought was kind of a little clever 
detail because unicorns are things that aren't real. And <laughs> this dream of fathers is a false dream. So I felt that was probably a bit of symbolism, intentional symbolism in the movie. But on the boat, there is a family led by a preacher and they are um, missionaries. And there are some pretty great exchanges between father and this missionary priest played by Andre Gregory. Yes. Andre Gregory is wonderful in this movie. He's very sort of a little bit over the top, but in just the right way as this sort of preacher. Father is so smart that he can quote all the scripture back at the preacher, but he doesn't buy into any of it. So he kind of makes fun of it. There's a really great line where the missionary preacher says something about, you know, God will open the door or whatever. And he tells him like, well, then don't let him hit hit you on the way out. <laughs> Which I really yeah, appreciated. You did. You, you laughed out loud. I chuckled. You chuckled. Yeah. yeah, I like irreverence towards religion. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that. But another thing that um, is established here is River Phoenix and the preacher's daughter, played by Martha Plimpton, who doesn't seem to be completely on board with her family's religious leanings. Not in the least. She's listening to her Walkman and chewing gum or whatever. She just seems like a normal 80s teen. Cute teen. She's yeah. so cute in this. Yeah, Martha Plimpton is, is great. So she's kind of making fun of River Phoenix's character because he's kind of hopelessly out of touch because right. his family is out of touch yes. but at the same time she thinks he's cute mm -hmm. because he's river phoenix and he is very cute yes he was a dreamy teen absolutely and she tells him that she's got a crush on him and that she <laughs> thinks about him when she goes to the bathroom <laughs> and nobody knows what to do with that yeah. i don't know what to do with that now like i'm like what it's just such an odd thing to yeah. say and he's just like his face is his just face like, is great when she says just, it and then like later on he sees her and she mouths it to him yeah she's like i think about you when i go to the bathroom right with it's... her like cute little sunglasses on yeah she does a, a shade tip she does do a shade tip that's yeah. right they meet up with mr hattie who's sort of their guide i'd say yeah. he, you know he's sort of their liaison in a way really affable nice guy with sort of like little dreadlocks and he Brings them to Panama or somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where they are, but they're in sort of like a smaller town. And while they're there, father arranges with some drunk in a bar or something to buy a town. Yes. Or that's how it's sort yeah. of sold to that's him. How, well, that's how we're we're informed of that. We don't see it go down. It's off right. screen. It's off that's, screen. But that's what he comes back and he's like, I bought a town. I bought it from, from like the mayor or something. Right. You know? Some white man, yeah, older white man who's drinking in a bar. Yeah. We just see sort of flashes of it. We don't see the actual conversation. So he carts them all up, Mr. Hattie and a, a bunch of other people that they sort of recruit. They get into a boat and they go up river. And this part of the movie, I started to feel like the creature from the Black Lagoon yes. should be coming out because they're going up a river in a boat that looks pretty much just like the boat that goes up the river and creature from the Black Lagoon. I you know, really could have gone for the creature showing up at this point. It would have been great. And yeah, the kids are just like hanging off the boat. Just, yeah. It's just, yeah, the creature would have fit in right there. But it, we forgot also when he tells, because I think 
father tells Mr. Hattie because like he needs to tell him where they're going. Yeah. And he's like, I bought it. You know, I bought a town or whatever. Geronimo is the town. Right. And Mr. Hattie's like, why would you want to go to Geronimo? Like, you know, like no one's really who knows. Yeah. The locals, the locals aren't super aren't like, stoked like, on it. Okay. You yeah. know, this is definitely the point at which I would have checked out as a child. Like if I was along for this journey, this I'd already be done here. I'd be like, where are we going? This looks like Creature from the Black Lagoon. They go up the river. They arrive at Geronimo to find that it is basically just like a collection of huts in the jungle, like sort of near the river. It's very um, underwhelming. And even father is underwhelmed. Like when he comes, he comes, they come, he comes running up kind of this, this kind of hill a little bit yeah. to the, t- to the quote unquote town and sees it's like, yeah, it's kind of just run down huts and just kind of a mess and you know you see him kind of like oh but he's got to keep it up yeah you know so he's like oh this is great and like you see helen mirren come up and she's just like i mean it's just all these crestfallen faces yeah. one by one i'm yeah. like this is where we're gonna live yes it looks horrible yeah and there are some people living there in huts yeah. but they are just sort of like who are these people showing up but he has a lot of enthusiasm Mm -hmm. to build this community and yeah he is always trying to put a bright face on it Mm -hmm. but even at this point of the movie you feel like okay he's just completely on this mission and there's no way he's gonna let anything slow his role at all and he gets everybody to work really hard and they basically tear down the town that's there and build this whole new town. Yep. It looks like a lot of really grueling hard work that goes on and on and on, but everybody seems to be on board. Well, definitely. I mean, he's really good about, especially the people that are working. It's very much like a community. He's like asking the people that are working with him because right. he is kind of, he's the leader, but he is trying to be democratic about things. And he's like, what do you want to build first? What do you want to do? And, yeah. you know, you're going to go build the fish farm. And, right. like, do you want to go do this or whatever? But nobody's actually saying anything. He's yeah. he's presenting it to them as if they have a say in it. And technically, I guess they would, but nobody says anything. Yeah. So he basically is just like, okay, well, then you're going to go build yeah. the fish farm and you're going to do this. But so. everybody's, like, seemingly going along with it and right. seeming like they're they're into it. And, I mean, it is improving things. This part of the movie was actually a little surprising to me because I thought things were going to go off the rails pretty quickly. But what we get for this next section of the film is things go well really you know it's hard work and everybody's really tired and it's gross and hot and sweaty but eventually he builds a bunch of houses he you know sort of landscapes the land he builds a really kind of nice house for him and his family and everybody seems to be pretty happy he's got a nice garden started and like i said they're doing this fish thing and just seems like things are going along and then he um decides to make the giant ice maker yes that he had made the prototype for back at the asparagus farm it's called fat boy yeah they call he it calls fat it boy. fat he calls boy. it fat boy because yeah because he refers to it like it has organs right like he's like this pipe is its lungs and this pipe is its 
poop shoot or whatever he yeah, said. No, they say that. Yes. Yeah. And then like this, you know, this section is his kidneys. So he's referring to the machine and he does that earlier on as well with the smaller prototype when he's showing it his kids, you know, he's re- making it in reference to anatomical. Right. Like the, the human body. But it's a giant structure. It's I mean, it's huge. It's the size of a building. Like a silo or something. Yeah. I mean, it's big. It looks like a silo building yeah. combination. Yeah. Once All... it's done and it has like siding on siding. it and everything. Yeah. But the machine works. They fire it up and it makes ice and it they run long tubing to like the house. So yep. now they can have air conditioning. Yep. So... You know, and they put tubing all throughout the town, quote, a village or whatever yeah. you want to call it. So people have air conditioning in their huts or whatever. So it seems like a pretty great place. And everybody yeah. seems pretty stoked about Everyone it. Everyone seems pretty stoked except for father. And this is when I'm just like, and I know we have to have a story. Yeah. We have to. This is the book. There has to be conflict. Yes. However, like things are things are livable and good now. Right. And, you know, and you can just tell because this character, like he can't. He doesn't ever want to be comfortable. Right. He really doesn't. Yeah. And so, like, in River Phoenix, I think, is narrating something. He's like, you know, father's starting to get bored and frustrated. Yeah. They're giving people giant chunks of ice for free. Yeah. So they've got this whole thing worked out where ice is, like, sliding down to the river to these boats. And it looks, like, great. Everyone's yeah. so excited Everyone's and coming so to get ice. And father's sitting there kind of scowling, <laughs> watching this all happen. And River Phoenix is like, here, here we go. go. Yeah. <laughs> So, I've seen this look. So yeah, so this is basically the event that sets a chain of events in motion in which everything falls to shit. Yes. And what happens is father hears word of a tribe that's living somewhat near their village and he gets all excited because he wants to bring them ice because they've never seen ice before but it's not too near their village right. <laughs> it turns out it's actually like two days journey over mountains and everything and he's taken the boys with them and poor jerry who's already not really on board with all no. of this is really having a tough time and they they actually camp for a night near some like ruins or whatever and Jerry wants to go sleep in the ruins and he's like you want me to get you a hotel room too should we order room service too and like just completely you want a king bed Jerry yeah. I know I do here's some quarters for the jukebox right. and it's like poor <laughs> yeah. Jerry yeah. like I feel so <laughs> sad for him I'm like He's just like out. I mean, it sucks. Yeah. And they're and all because they're carrying this damn block of ice. Which is melting, melting rapidly. You just see it getting smaller and smaller. Right. So, yeah, it's a, a complete fool's errand to begin yes. with. And he's totally ragging on poor Jerry for not being enough of a man, man. to want to go make the lean to that they can sleep in for the night. But River Phoenix is looking out for his brother and trying to, you know, prop him up. Charlie, the River Phoenix's character, believes in his dad and his dad is his hero. So even though he can see that there's some real problems here, he also continues to believe in the his father's dream of creating this utopia. So they finally arrive at this village of natives. And, you know, these are like hardcore natives who are mostly naked and yeah. have facial tattoos and spears yeah. and, and bows and arrows. By the time they've gotten there, a father's all excited. He has his duffel bag that's still got this one chunk of ice that he's wrapped in leaves that he, yeah. and he goes to pull it out. And of course it's melted. So 
They don't even present the natives with the ice, but they notice, Father notices that in this village he sees these, well, it's, it white, was, he thinks they're white people. It was actually River Phoenix. Who, River uh, Phoenix. Or, yeah, he noticed because everyone's got spears on Father, you know, yeah. and it's like a whole thing. And River Phoenix is like, you know, because Harrison Ford says, Father says, like, they've never seen a white man before. Right. And then Charlie, River Phoenix is like, you know, dad, I think there's, I see some, I see a white guy over there. So yeah. then Harrison Ford goes over to investigate what's happening. And then again, this is off screen. Right. We don't really see what transpires here. Right. But then he comes back and he's like, we, you know, well, we, we got to go. We got to go. And as they're like running off, you know, he's telling them that these men have been captured by the tribe. And so he told them like, do you want me to get help? And they said, no, they had a plan. Yeah. So he said, okay, if you get out, like this is where Geronimo is, you know, right. come come see us. Right. Which turns out to be a terrible <laughs> idea because the men do get out. And it turns out these men were not prisoners of the tribe, but they are some sort of Panamanian guerrillas or something. Mercenaries. They're mercenaries. Yeah. And they show up at the town and they've got guns yeah. and they are clearly there for no good. Oh, yeah. And it's pretty obvious right away that they're trouble and everybody realizes it. And it becomes really tense. This part of the movie I found really tense. And I remember seeing this when I was younger because these three guys come in. And they just kind of make themselves at home and start eating the fruit. And poor Mr. Hattie's scared out of his mind. So father's making this ridiculous show of trying to be um, hospitable. hospitable, but he clearly understands that they're trouble. Mm -hmm. So he's just trying to like keep them sort of placated yeah. while he figures out what to do. And he's like, well, you guys are leaving soon, right? Like you can take my boat. Like yeah. we've got a boat. You can go take, please. No, take it. It's yours. Take it. You probably want to go up to Panama because that's, that, that'll be good for you up there. And you they're know, like, no, we like it and here. They're like, yeah. They're like, we like it here. <laughs> and you know, they're given Helen Mirren. The eye. The eye and, being gross. Yeah. It's so. And so here. Yeah. So then father is just coming up with all kinds of wild bullshit like, well, you can't stay here. This place is infested with ants. Right. And, and it's like the mercenaries are just not having it. They're, They're like, like They're, we don't we see, see any ants. ants. He's like, well, if you could see them, right. you know, we could kill them and that wouldn't be a problem. And then he starts saying they're termites. So then he proceeds to have everyone start destroying the village. Yes. Which is just, I mean... I guess there's nothing, you know, what's the point of having this village if you can't get rid of these people? Like, I, I, I get it in some way, but it's also just like so hard and frustrating to watch all this hard work being thrown away. Well, we forgot to mention it, but one thing about the village is that a lot of the people had left because oh, right. the missionaries led by Andre Gregory showed up and he had been already sort of spreading yeah. the gospel and he... Him and father had a confrontation and the preacher scared some of the people there into leaving with him yes. because he's got a missionary set up somewhere else. So right. a lot of the villagers were already gone. So yeah. they were destroying their houses that they had already sort of abandoned. Right. That's true. Yeah, because they had they had showed up. Um, the missionaries had showed up again when they were off on this ice capade. <laughs> yes. So the houses they were destroying were unoccupied, but they keep destroying more yeah. and more stuff yeah. because these mercenaries aren't buying it nope. and they're not leaving. 
So eventually they they start to really sort of hone in on Helen Mirren. Yeah. And at that point, Father realizes that he's got to do something. So he tells the mercenaries that he's got the bunkhouse all set up for them. And like the boys are like, bunkhouse? bunkhouse. We have a yeah. bunkhouse? Father takes the mercenaries to the bunkhouse, which is actually Fat Boy. Yep. And he sets them all up in there for the night. And then he wakes Charlie up in the middle of the night and tells him that he needs his help. And he gets Charlie to climb up on top of the of Fat Boy while the mercenaries are sleeping. And Fat Boy's several stories yes. high. It's a yeah. high it's climb. Terrifying. And Charlie's got to be silent as he yep. does it so he doesn't wake them. And he's got to close the sort of trap door yep. that's on the top of Fat Boy, which vents it. And so he closes that and locks it with like a stick. And then Harrison Ford locks the door to Fat Boy on the ground and he turns on Fat Boy, which will freeze the mercenaries to death inside the building. Yeah, within minutes. Within minutes. Charlie realizes at this point what's going on, that his father is intending to kill these men. And his father's like, don't feel sorry for those men. At that point, I think he gets bitten by a mosquito and he's like, don't feel sorry for this bug. Or something. Right. It's something that causes him to bleed. But, you know, Charlie is just horrified as to what's happening. So Fat Boy fires up and it starts to freeze them. And father's like, if they just lie down on the ground, it'll all be over quickly. And at that point, the rest of the family is woken up because when you turn Fat Boy on, it's loud. And then now these mercenaries are screaming inside the thing. Mr. Hattie's like, who's making ice? Yeah, I mean, it's a why whole, are you making ice at this hour? It's a whole scene. It is. And the mercenaries who have uh, like machine guns yes. start firing in Fat Boy, which is just no good yeah because fat boy is filled with flammable pipes and whatnot and like some sort of flammable um liquid or something too chemicals chemicals yes probably like i i have no idea because i don't know these things but like he did but i'm thinking it's like some sort of like coolant or freon or something like that yeah some hazardous chemical liquid and they start firing at the doors and at the pipes, and it basically makes it explode in a huge explosion that not only blows up Fat Boy, and it's the explosion is impressive. Like yeah. it seems to go on and on forever. But it also the fire travels through all these tubes, tubes. that they made mm-hmm. the, throughout the village. So the entire village blows up and yep. thankfully nobody's there anymore except for the family yep. and Mr. Hattie and it kills the mercenaries obviously and also all the chemical from inside the uh fat boy runs into the river so and Mr. Hattie's boat sinks and Mr. Hattie's boat sinks so <laughs> it destroys everything and basically salts the earth so that they couldn't even rebuild here. Right. They can't even live in this part of the river anymore because the water's been poisoned. Yep. It's a complete fucking disaster. All because father needed to bring ice to, to the, the, the natives. To the savages. savages. The savages. Yes. So, yeah. He's, I have so much resentment for father. Yeah. At this point, you're completely no longer, you know, for a second, I was kind of won over. Yeah. That part of me that would like to live in some sort of utopia is seeing this thing they built and thinking, wow, that might actually be kind of nice. Oh, yeah. No, I'm right there with you the whole way. I'm right there with you until this ridiculousness happens and this whole everything just goes to complete 
shit. It so didn't have to happen. And at this point, there's basically no return from hell at this point. (laughs) Because they get in this tiny little boat that they have left and they travel upriver because father's got in his head that that's where life really is, is upriver. They could go downriver back to Master Hattie's town or whatever. first. That's how they end up at the ocean. Right. Well, they traveled through down the river to the ocean. Yes. And at that point, the family's like, we're going to go home. They think they're all going to go home now because it's all. Mr. Hattie's like, Panama's right over here. Like, America's here. Like, it didn't work out. Right. You know, like, let's go back home. Right. You you know, everybody thinks at this point, okay, well, that was, we screwed up. So now we're going back home. The experiment failed. But father's undeterred. They're on this crummy beach that's got all this garbage washed, washed up. up on it and he's like we've got everything we need right here and i remember this part very much from when i would see it when i was younger and just feeling like oh god just go home and well and then he tells the big lie to yes. his family which the only person who is a hundred percent not buying it is his mother i mean she knows but she's yeah. so like just standing by her man she becomes a little frustrating at this point she certainly does you know because she's the other adult in the room who's like just totally co-signing his bullshit yeah but you know and the kid and and charlie kind of is skeptical of this too but the other kids don't know you know and he tells them that that, because he keeps talking about in many of his rants about how nuclear war is coming right and so he tells them that there is no america anymore that it burned down there was a war and there's no home to go back to Right. And at this point in the 80s, that would have been a, a real, really easy a real that would have been an easy lie to sell to people. Absolutely. Because we all thought that was going to basically happen. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, that would be easy to convince the kids um, that the world no longer existed. So that's what he tells them. They go along with it. Mr. Hattie is like, well, I'm going back to Panama or whatever. So he leaves. Well, but father gives Mr. Hattie his Omega watch right. first. And he's like, as a gift, you know, and and mother's like, you've been so good to us. Plus, like, you know, his boat was ruined and, you know, like they feel bad about it. So that's the last kind of possession, I guess, that father has. Right. And his father's doing it because he's like, I don't need a watch anymore. You know, he's just going to live by the sun Uh or whatever. So it's serving two things to give Mr. Hattie something for all of his losses. And because they're throwing off the shackles of all society or whatever but the family really even at this point wants to go with mr hattie they're like you know they they would be fine with going if they're not if the, if the u.s is gone yeah let's go to panama then yeah but no so they build the like habitat sort mm-hmm. of thing there and at first it looks okay like it's kind of you know well they've got he sets up some pulleys and stuff Mm -hmm. to make like a turbine and you know you know but he's not going to use chemicals anymore because Mm -hmm. that was the mistake that he Mm -hmm. that of before was that he had relied on chemicals and now they're just going to use wind turbines and stuff that he makes out of pulleys and whatever so he's still employing his genius and they build like a structure to live in and they've got some stuff going and he's got this um, motorboat motor Mm -hmm. that he needs to he needs spark plugs plugs for the motor yeah but it's kind of unclear what's going on, but it looks like they've built their whole habitat on a sort of a boat. boat, like a yeah. raft type of thing. So 
uh, Mr. Hattie comes back to visit and just check in on them. And, and bring like, some stuff. And bring some stuff, but father's too proud to accept any of the stuff that he wants. And he's like, I don't need any of your stuff here. Your and he, charity. Your charity. And Mr. Hattie's like, you've built too close to the water and the rainy season's going to come and you're going to get the washed away. Gonna, yeah, it's going to come all the way up. But like at this point, father's not listening to him nope. or anybody, basically. And t- tells him to fuck off, more or less. The next scene, we see that the rain has begun and it's nighttime and they're all in their sort of tent habitat and the miserable. rain's pouring Just down. Just miserable. And mother and father are asleep and Mr. Hattie sneaks up to River Phoenix and is like, here, I've got some spark plugs. And here's some gas. And here's some gas. You're going to need it. And he's like, and God be with yeah, you. Yeah, God bless. God be yeah. with you. And sure enough, the floods come and they are washed out into the river on this, you know, ramshackle raft raft that they're living on. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. It's a bad scene. Everyone's pretty much over it. Well, and Charlie at this point, too, like in the middle of like the storm, he's like, Dad, I found these, you know, and they're the spark plugs and then the gas or whatever. And so they get the motor going and like mother and everyone's like, yay, let's go to Panama. Let's go to Mr. Hattie's. And father's like, no, we've got a motor. We're going upstream. And you're just like, oh, no. Yeah. Your heart just Just sinks. Sinks sinks further. It just keeps sink. It's the, the forever sinking heart. Yes. So they are now going upriver, and they've got no food. They look all haggard and like shit. So sunburned, too. Like, it just, this ramshackled raft that they've created has zero shelter. Yeah. So they're just, like, having to put, like, these rags, like, on their heads and stuff. And it's just, I mean, they look miserable right the twins are basically non-functional and just (laughs) sleeping under a tarp or whatever and something happens with um i was at the i I don't know boat terminology is it the rudder yeah is that the motor something the propeller propeller yeah it's the propeller something happens with that and so they the, the boys are up at the front of the boat with these giant poles that they're like kind of navigating along the river yes and father's at the back and then he's like, you at know, the motor. Yes, at the motor. And then he's got to like because something happens with the motor. He's the propeller go. falls off, so he's got to go dive into yes. the river to get the propeller. Yes. And he goes and dives into the river. He has this rope tied around yeah. his ankle, and he dives in. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. And then the rope comes up, yep. and he's not on the end of the rope. No, and it's and, a long time. Right, it's a long time. And and then mother freaks out. She's like, "I can't take it anymore. Yeah. I can't take anymore." Finally. This. And the boys are like, "Let's go! Let's go! Let's go now! Let's go so to Mr. Pan- Hattie. Mr. Hattie's. And like and basically, he- like he's dead. Let's go. Yeah. And then father pops up out of the water. Right, with the propeller. With the propeller, pissed. Yeah, and he's like, traitors. Yeah, yeah, I remembered. I remembered that, too. And then that's when he makes uh, Charlie and Jerry, like, be towed behind in this, like, sad canoe or yeah. something that, like, they're it's a punishment boat yeah. that they're having to ride in, which is even worse than being in this ramshackle raft and they're just like roasting in the sun and this is when like jerry's like i want to kill him yeah we could do it really easily we could sneak up and behind him and stab him with a knife and we hear in the voiceover narration that charlie's thinking about it too yeah he's like it would be easy. easy but then charlie's like 
to Jerry is like, no, don't even say that. And Jerry's like, you were thinking it too. Which he was. Which he was because we heard it. And then Charlie's like, no, I wasn't thinking it. Yes, you were, Charlie. So then what happens is they're going along upriver and they hear this heavenly (laughs) singing. Like the twins, one of the twins is like, are those (laughs) angels? She's like, She looks like she's close to death. Oh, probably from starvation. They're like cooking like rats or something oh, on or yeah. some kind of just gross. No, and that's like, isn't this the point where Harrison Ford's like, don't have too much coconut. Yeah. You know, we need to ration. And he like smiles when he's like, don't know when we'll eat next. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like he's like, he's like, it's a fun adventure. Like, right. we don't know when we'll eat next. Yeah. And I just thought like, I want to punch you right in the face. Right. It is probably... <laughs> Certainly to to this point in history, but it is probably Harrison Ford's least sympathetic role, maybe ever, because at this point, you fucking hate him, like hate him. I mean, I think his performance is great. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he's, you know, his hair's getting all raggedy and just the charm of him is just gone and what's left is just this person who's all ego and so consumed yes just consumed and driven he's just such a self-will run riot yes. he just is like running on like yes ego and i am going to make this I'm righteousness gonna, i'm gonna and- fit this circle into a square i'm gonna make it work you know like and it's just like dude it's not working yeah yeah, if, if I think about Jack Nicholson in this role, I just think of him doing Jack Torrance. Like, so I'm glad that it was Harrison Ford oh, yeah. because I think that Harrison Ford is more believable as sort of an everyman and a person that could convince people to follow him. You Absolutely, know? no, and I think he is. I think he's perfect in this role. I think he's great. I think it's he's, one of his best roles, to be honest. But it's so. Not like his other roles where he's just, I mean, he's, you know, Han Solo, he's Indiana Jones. Yeah. He's just this, this super charming guy. And... Which is why I think this movie failed. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's like the the charisma that he usually brings to his leading man roles is now turned on itself in a really kind of interesting way that makes you fucking hate him. Because yes. he's just, because he is Harrison Ford and good looking and sort of like oh and confident confident and and like all of those things now are like turning him into a monster so well it's like with that thing when you fall for someone and all these things you thought were really like endearing like turn out to be the things that are people who are really passionate and these charismatic passionate type of leaders can become monsters you know it happens in cults every time right right. it's the same it's a very cult leader ish type of yes charisma so yeah i mean i i think that his performance is actually pretty great i think he's i think it's one of his like i said i think it's one of his best it's not one of his most likable no it's his least (laughs) likable probably well there's another one that's just not so likable right but he but as a young man yeah or young ish man this was his most unlikable yes Yes. i mean he went on to play grumpy characters in movies as an older man but like at this point he was in his like height of his matinee hero image so It's really a departure. Anyway, so they hear this heavenly choir and they arrive at 
a missionary village, which has been set up by the Andre Gregory character. Yes. The funny part is, that, so they arrive on the banks of this village and nobody's greeting them because they're all in this nice white chapel that's been built. Well, and we get to have the kids that are all like, oh, they have a basketball like yeah. court or whatever. And like, oh, do you see these toys? They live in real houses. Like you're getting all this like chatter as they're like, you know, as they're all walking as a sneaking group, throughout sneaking the through village. the village that is completely deserted because like you said, they're right. all in church. And at this point they look like feral creatures. Yeah. Like they must just smell so bad. Yeah. <laughs> like River Phoenix's hair is all sticking up and crazy. Yeah, everybody's got wild hair. Yeah. But nobody's out and they're all gathered in this church so they they go sneak in and peek in in the church and they're all the most of the people that were living with them and their what was it geronimo. geronimo when things were going good are now there in the pews and they're not witnessing a live sermon nope. but they're watching a giant television that's got andre gregory's character i don't know if they're watching a broadcast from the states or if they're watching a vhs tape i don't know but, but they're watching a sermon that's been televised and it's so terrible like it's it's, it's such like um evangelistic yes. type televangelistic yes. that you would see there's like a whole thing where he's like you just gotta if you want to talk to god you know you gotta pray and it's just like making a phone call and so then he like rolls out this rotary phone and is like going through the motions of making the phone call and what do you do if the line is cut yeah. you dial him again and right. it's just like so sad and all these you know these native folks are here and they're just like and dressed up really nice at this church service, uh, it's the worst. Yeah, as if they've gone to like Sunday Yeah, church. like with a real service. Yeah. It's just so gross. So then but they, they all go back to the boat and they go to sleep. I think, I mean, I think it's, you know, it gets to be dark. Yeah, like it sun, gets to be dark and they just go back to the boat to sleep. But the boys yes. sneak away from the boat and they... They hear the, a truck arrive or something. Yeah, and they they hear voices and they follow that, and it's the main. They they follow it to like I think the main house on yeah. the property, which is the missionary's house, the Andre Gregory and his family. Yeah. So they're like sitting around, you know, watching TV and eating or whatever, and cute Martha Plimpton's there and with her headphones on, and she looks out the window and there's these feral <laughs> creatures. Yeah. Poor Charlie and Jerry, like, just looking worse for the wear. But they, like, uh, you know, flag him down. And, yeah. and so she comes outside and she's just like, what happened to you? Yeah. You know, like, you guys look terrible. Well, like, I think uh, Charlie's like, so where did you go or whatever? And she's like, oh, we went back to Baltimore. And, and she's like, it sucks it or it's sucks. terrible or whatever. And then Jerry's like, is, you know, is America gone or yeah. something like that and she's like what she's yeah. it's just completely she's like, what are you talking about and then jerry's like our father told us that america had been destroyed and she's like i thought my father yeah. said weird things or whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah. so basically they learn which river phoenix i think knew no, all along but... but jerry learns definitively that the world has not been destroyed yeah. and Dad's been lying to them mm -hmm. this whole time, but they ask for her help. And so the next thing we see is they return to the raft. Mother's there and she's woken up because she's gone to look for father who has mysteriously disappeared. Mm -hmm. And Charlie and Jerry reveal that uh, Martha Plimpton has given them the keys to the truck and they can get away, yep. but they're going to leave father behind. Yep. 
But mother doesn't want to leave father behind. Nope. And this, I'm just at this, this point, I'm really frustrated with her. No, this and is it like, sucks because I really love Helen Mirren, but her character is frustrating in this. Well, and this I is, think people watching this now would struggle with this because she's such a doormat and just she, goes along with it. And it's it like, is the worst on. codependency yeah. ever. Like you see it and you're just like... Oh my God. It's, yeah, it's just so super frustrating. The next thing that happens, though, actually makes her change her mind is because all of a sudden they hear, look over and they see this church is on fire. Yep. Because father has snuck off with a gas tank and he really hates the preacher yep. and his missionary. So he's decided to burn down the yep. church. So now he's basically just turned into an evil vandal murderer. Yeah, yeah. So it's not even self-defense anymore. No. It's like straight up aggression. Revenge and yeah. Yes. So he, that, at that point, that's when we get Helen Mirren. Finally. She's like, she's finally, like, mother's yeah. like, okay, let's go. And so then they're ready to go. And then again, he's just like shows up. I mean, they all know he's done it, but then yeah. he like literally shows up with the like, gas I got can. some gas. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like this crazed face. And yeah. um, they're like, we're going, yeah. you know, later or whatever. And then Andre Gregory comes out with a gun and she, like shoots over in the direction of where he can hear them. And, yes. you know, he goes, he keeps calling them the whole time the communists. Right. Right. So he's like, it's the communist. And so he like nails father. In the neck, basically. Yeah. Like near the shoulder like, collarbone up yeah. there. Yeah. So now... They all get back on the fucking boat. Yeah, that was also frustrating. <laughs> I, I was like, why just go? Leave just him. Go. Who Leave cares? Him. Or fine, if you want to take him, like, go get the Jeep or something. I don't know. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, they just wanted to sort Yeah, I of, know. They got to get back on that boat. They wanted to give it a dramatic ending. Yes. I mean, the story is over at this point. They get back on the boat and they go floating upriver, but father who is now basically on his back and dying and paralyzed they're he not can't... going up river they're going they're, they want to go down river. right right yeah. i'm sorry they're they're going down river back to the ocean right but father's like are we going up river and they're he just basically has his last moment with charlie where he, he, he says, does this thing where he's like how am i doing son right and he's like you're doing fine dad and then like he's you know waxing poetic about whatever this and that about yeah. life and basically he's like the human experiment is yeah. a failure yeah he talks about how human beings are failures because we're not built correctly to right. we should live. Have, we, we should, should have be tails and, and covered in fur. Right. We and... should be walking on all fours and we should have teeth that yeah. can tear things. Like we're imperfect because we evolved. I have one more bit of trivia for you that applies to the ending that I've been saving. All right. Well, whip it out. The book has a, a different ending. Mm -hmm. They so, all go to McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, it's the, the same, but it's a lot more gruesome. Uh-huh. So after he finally collapses, then he is eaten by vultures. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Creatures that I guess he despises throughout the book, okay. which is a reoccurring theme. So, you know, of course, poetic justice right. that he gets Vul eaten by the vultures. Right. Because he sort of sees society as being vulturistic. Being yeah. yeah like cannibalistic or whatever. Parasitical. Parasitical. That's yes. better. Yes. So in the movie, he just slowly dies from his gunshot wounds. Yes. But- yeah, in the book, it says Ali Fox, who's father, finally collapses, after which he is eaten by vultures. So, yeah, that would have been kind of nice little touch. I can see why they yeah, didn't go that I know. way. It wasn't. 
They weren't ready. No. And it just ends with some voiceover from Charlie saying that now that his father was gone, he could learn to love him again. Right. We see their raft reaching the the mouth to the ocean, and we know that they're going to go home and live their lives without this horrible man. (laughs) And that's the end. And, you know, it's if father... And he wouldn't be father then. He just would have been Allie Fox. Mm-hmm. Wanted to have this life, by all means, like live your best life alone. But don't right. like drag your poor wife and kids into all of this. Like right. they, especially the kids. The kids have zero say yeah. in this. And it's just like they just wanted to be playing Atari and some air conditioning. Yep. And having some now and laters and I, don't I think know. this movie weirdly formed some opinions that I had about this kind of like rejection of society. I think this served as a cautionary tale if I ever sort of would go too far down mm-hmm. that road in my mind. It's funny, we recently watched uh, Captain Fantastic, which I think approaches a lot of these same ideas but in a much kinder a much like sympathetic kinder way. way like this is presenting the sort of like hellish version and captain fantastic is presenting the there's things wrong with this but he's a decent human being in the end and he does the right thing in the end and you know what i mean well, like well and there's so much love like right. there's never a doubt that uh vigo morgeson's character like he loves, loves, his, loves kids. his kids and those kids know they're loved yeah like he's not you know and they they actually love their life yes like with him like no one except i mean there's one of the kids of course one that's of I is, like kind of like i want to go live with my grandparents there's whatever. conflict but, and stuff yeah but, but it's not it's it's just i mean father in in this harrison ford's character is a dick the <laughs> Vigo Mortensen's character in that, I mean, he does make them like mountain climb and he puts them in danger. He does and, put them in danger, he, but he's they're hard on them. But they're here for it. Right. Like, no, it's not that he's not putting them in danger, but the, the kids are, except with the exception of one of in that film, are all pretty gung ho for yeah. it. These kids are pretty much on board too, but like he definitely is, as he's, you know, dissenting further into his egotistical madness, is not dishing out the love no. anymore to them and he's actually quite cruel yes captain fantastic is is a kinder softer version of much being kinder, off the much grid softer, yes. yeah but interesting companion pieces yes so um revisiting this how did you feel about it i actually really enjoyed watching it i yeah. mean I, you know i don't know if and when i need to watch it again anytime soon i'm not like oh no, i need to definitely not. need to go watch the mosquito coast again but i i really enjoyed this watch um i think it's really well acted Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the casting is great i think the locations are incredible i love the locations they actually the village in geronimo three separate sets for that so i mean just crazy amounts of money was put into this being in the location but also just the amount of detail and everything oh yeah the production looks amazing is it's incredible yeah i agree with some of you know what father's saying of course of course yeah um as i did when you know with captain fantastic too i was like yeah i get this but like especially in these days when we're really seeing 
the detriments of capitalism. I mean, the beginning of the movie, he's really talking about how capitalism has fucked everything up. And it's so funny because it's coming from the 80s. And right. it's like, oh, dude, you, you don't, don't even, even know. know. <laughs> like, it's going to get so much worse than it is here. Yes. And the 1986, yeah. it's going to be so much more terrible yeah. in 2021. Just. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, looking at it from that point of view, if you like us are not the hugest fan of late stage capitalism capitalism. that's going to resonate with you and you're going to relate to his character to a certain point (laughs) to a certain point yeah is exactly what it is it's to a certain point right and again going back to he had it they they were just so frustrating they had it they had it pretty good like they could have they could have really like rode that out with the ice yep. and you know been there and just just it was just not enough yeah there was always like there's in and, and that you know that's a reoccurring theme in so many different well yeah areas. i mean and human i think i think a, a theme of the movie is that human beings are inherently never satisfied, satisfied with things like he gets what he wants and he can't just leave it alone he's got to keep trying for something more grand and that blows up in his face literally it does literally blow up in his face and the irony is is that's one of his criticisms of america right. and the people living there is that you know it's never enough yeah like you know you're you're you eat when you're not hungry yep. you know you buy things you don't need and all mm-hmm. of this stuff and it's like yeah dude but you also weren't satisfied like you yep. actually got this big machine that you had dreamed about creating working you're serving ice to these people who had never seen ice before for free and everyone's jazzed but no you gotta go one, gotta step, go one further. step further and the, it's the ultimate mess <laughs> yeah i also really enjoyed this rewatch you know obviously when i saw it originally i was not a, aware of the director and his work yeah, no. and now i can really see peter weir's Absolutely. hand in it and it just cements my feelings that mm-hmm. he's a great director and somebody who I'm always up for watching one of his movies. I think he just has an understanding of the human condition in a lot of ways. A lot of his movies deal with sort of these, you know, people going against the elements. And it's not always the same thing like Master and Commander deals with some of these themes, but in a much different more positive way. So he's not a cynical director. Interestingly, we forgot to mention this. This was written by Paul Schrader. I was just going to say that. I was like, again, like what you were just talking about Mm -hmm. is what Paul Schrader does too. With Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Like, I mean, it's it's a similar. Not to read too much into it, but I might say that maybe the cynicism is coming more from Paul Schrader. (laughs) Possibly. Because he's kind of a cynical guy. I feel like maybe the cynicism is coming from Paul Schrader's script but who knows i don't know i mean i i would kind of i don't know i kind of want to check out the book just to see as a comparison i'm sure sure the book's pretty cynical but yeah who knows but i think you know and that was another thing i believe in the trivia too that you know it was pretty true adaptation of of the book except Mm -hmm. that they didn't get to go into as much detail obviously because it's a two-hour film which is probably what like you said earlier what they're doing with the series yeah do you have any interest in watching the series after seeing this or kind of because i like justin thoreau yeah it might be interesting to check out check it out i haven't heard anything good or bad so i don't know yeah i could go go back to the mosquito coast and get frustrated with justin thoreau yeah why not (laughs) um i think it's obvious why it didn't do so well i think Uh, probably it's People thought that, you know, there was going to be a fun Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones style jungle adventure. And they got this 
descent into misery. I, I, I just wish I could remember like <laughs> what what the conversations were after going to see this in the theater. I mean, I just went, you know, I mean, I've always gone to the movies a lot. And so I'm sure this was just me going with my friend or my mom or, you know, moms and friends or something to to see this film mm -hmm. and i just i'm sure like nobody all left really <laughs> bummed out oh, i just i wish i could remember i wish i could remember how that was afterwards i'm sure it was quite depressing <laughs> this isn't like indiana jones at all <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm gonna go uh get in my boat and take it up river and Build myself a fat boy and bring some native some ice. Annie and I are going to stay right here. <laughs> that about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows? One day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. <laughs> <laughs>